Welcome to On Top of PR, where we share how to use the power of PR to build a strong brand and great reputation for your company. Here's your host, Jason Mudd. (laughs) Welcome to On Top of PR. I'm your host, Jason Mudd, and today I'm joined with my friend, Duncan Wardle. Duncan is the former vice president of innovation and head of creativity at Disney. Uh, Duncan has helped many teams figure out how to be creative in the workplace, which is not only an ongoing challenge, but even more of a challenge when those work teams might be working remote or spread out. At our agency, we had the pleasure of meeting Duncan in May of 2016. And literally since that time, we have been following his model and his process for innovation and ideation, including meeting once a week on every Wednesday afternoon for 90 minutes to come up with great ideas and solutions for our clients. I can tell you that's been a game changer for our agency and really helped us to develop some new ideas for our clients and really wow them with some of those ideas. Duncan, welcome to the show. We are so pleased to have you here today. Wow. That's a bit of an intro. Now, if I'd known it was Jason Mudd, I'd have turned it down months ago. He's <laughs> delighted. He's lovely to be here. <laughs> Thanks, Duncan. We're glad to have you. Um, so tell me, uh, obviously, COVID-19 has changed uh, your life quite a bit. Um, Normally, you're globetrotting, traveling the world, and helping uh, companies and organizations learn how to think bigger. Uh, what have you been doing the last few weeks? Jigsaws, dude. I'm on my sixth one. And let me tell you, they're a bitch. I went in, so here's the thing, right? I went into Target store a, a couple of weeks back before the lockdown. And you knew the toilet roll aisle was going to be empty, so you didn't even bother going there. You knew the kitchen paper aisle was going to be locked, you know, empty. So I thought, I'll get a jigsaw. It was disaster. <laughs> There's obviously been a rush on jigsaws. <laughs> there was an article in New York Times last Sunday about the stock price and this company that makes jigsaws just gone up like 200%. So there's, see, there's a pivot right there. I mean, but think, look at what's happened in the last four weeks. God knows we're all frightened. We're all scared. Um, but then some amazing things come out of it. You know, there was that the first uh, was a very small distillery up in Western Canada immediately took their distillation process and started making hand sanitizer. There was those two guys. I'm sure you read about them in Lombardy in Italy, where which, of course, has been a nightmare. They had a hospital saying, hey, w- people are dying. We don't have pumps for our ventilators and we couldn't get them fast enough. So they just brought in a 3D printer and they knocked out, I think it was 24 pumps in six hours for a dollar a piece. And then there was a high school in Japan who realized they weren't going to get their high school graduation ceremony, which I think is obviously a travesty for any high school senior. I think that's very sad. But so there's the there's, there's the low key version and the high key version. Our local high school here in Hunters Creek, I'm in Orlando, uh, they got in their cars. They told everybody we're going to be coming past your houses at 10 a.m. Please come out, wave and cheer for our high school seniors and everybody on the street came out and it was I was getting tearful for God's sake it had nothing to do with me but then there was this high stall in Japan where they, they just got hold of one of the kids who knows Minecraft really well and they recreated the gym just exactly as it would be they took all their high school pictures out of the yearbook and the teachers of the pictures and recreated the high school graduation ceremony in Minecraft so there's been some amazing innovations in the last couple of weeks but here's the I guess if you call it the silver lining um, the number one barrier to innovation is often considered to be time to think. And guess what? 
we've got plenty of it now. Um, and it's about pivoting your business really quickly. And just the, the analogy I would give you is I don't believe, and I, I'm very saddened by it, I genuinely believe I'll never shake hands with another human being again. Now, take that and multiply it by every industry. So for example, okay, anybody who hadn't discovered Amazon up until two weeks ago is probably now a rabid user. Think about Uber Eats and the success that they'll, they'll be enjoying in the last few weeks. Um, just all these industries that were in slow decline anyway, do we think, if we think we're going back to business as usual, you're in for a nasty surprise. So now is the time to take time pivot and challenge yourself take all the rules of your industry like as we did with your your team a couple of years back and list those rules and use that tool that we call what if and i'm happy to go through that if you like but it's it's about taking a really hard look at your industry of all the things you've always done and why do we do it that way because we've always done it that way well guess what stop doing it that way or you're gone absolutely now is certainly a great time for companies to rethink everything they've been doing one it's probably mandatory and two there's more uh, innovation opportunities and more willingness to try new things for sure so uh you know we have been using dispersed teams for several years now and so we were fortunate to be ahead of the, that learning curve uh compared to so many other colleagues who are really struggling with it but i think you know uh, a lot of creative agencies i've heard them say or even just creative uh you know departments or services would say oh well we have to be together in order to produce creative work and you and i both know that's not true uh there may be certain tools or certain techniques that you use to collaborate together that you can't when you're dispersed but that just requires uh more creativity and what tools you can use also duncan well, yeah. and you tell me if if you agree that it's good to have people uh, representing multiple geographic uh, areas to come to the table, uh, more diversity. Yeah. Look, here's what's going to happen. And, you know, I worked for Disney for 30 years. And like any other big corporate enterprise, somewhere between here and Christmas, they're going to very quickly understand that all the people who work back of house don't actually need to come into an office anymore because they're going to be fighting for survival like everybody else. And they, if they can save 50% of their corporate rent, you think they won't? So there's lots of things we can say we couldn't do virtually. I didn't think I could do a successful brainstorm virtually until last week. Guess what? I got on a fr- uh, got on a call with a, a group of people from SAP on four different continents, 10 different countries, God knows how many different time zones. We use their virtual um, breakout rooms and we use their virtual whiteboards. And was it as successful as in person? You know what? I think it was pretty damn close, actually. Did we learn a lot? Will we change? Yes, of course we will. I think the tool I was referring to earlier on, I call it what if. It's about taking the rules of your industry and challenging them. It was created by a man called Walt Disney in 1940 when he had the film called Fantasia, which was a you know cl- a animation set to classical music. But he wanted heat pumped into the theater during the scene with fire, and he wanted mist pumped in during the, the Sorcerer's Apprentice when there was water around. And the theater owners obviously said, no, Walt, too expensive. We would never do that. So Walt listed all the rules of showing his movie in a movie theater. It's dark, it's dirty, I have to go at a set time, I have to sit in a seat, I have to watch the previews. I, Walt, can't control the environment. He said, well, what if I could control the environment? Well, that was not provocative enough, the more provocative and absurd your what-if question, the further out of your river of thinking you will get. 
What is a river of thinking? The biggest barrier to innovation is everybody listening to this podcast and me and you. The more experience we have, the more expertise we have, the more reasons we know why the new idea won't work. So we just shoot it down. But this tool is a genius at getting you out of that river of thinking. We're being asked now with COVID-19 to get out of our river of thinking and think differently. And it's hard because we're really good at what we do. But here's one example of one tool. So instead of saying, how might we control the environment? He said, what if I took my movies out of the theater? Well, that was a stupid idea in 1940. How the hell were you going to do that? Well, if I take my movies out of the theater, well, clearly they couldn't be two-dimensional anymore. They'd fall over and people wouldn't be able to see them. I don't have screens outdoors. Well, wait a minute. What if I made them three-dimensional? Well, if I made them three-dimensional, I'd have to have people play the characters. Well, if I had people play the characters, I couldn't have Cinderella live next to Davy Crockett or Jack Sparrow. People wouldn't be immersed in her story. Oh, I know. I'll create a different land. Oh, wait a minute. I'll call it Disneyland. The biggest creative suggestion of the 20th century. Uh, fast forward to 2005. Uh, the founder of Netflix had $130 worth of late fees on his Blockbuster video, as we all did. And he listed the rules of going to Blockbuster. You have to drive to a physical store. You have to be there during opening hours. You can only get three at a time. You have to be kind of rewind. I never get the one I want opening day weekend. And he took one rule. I have to drive to a physical store. And he said, what if there was no physical store? And he looked around the world, and sure enough, YouTube had been around for a while. They were streaming amateur content. He said, well, what if I just stream professional content? I'll do a deal with all the movie studios. Nobody would have to drive anywhere. My store will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everybody will get the movie they want on opening day weekend. I'll cut the rental off at 24 hours. Nobody will pay a late fee. I'll call it Netflix. I'll take my idea to Blockbuster Video five times. They'll turn me down five times, and I'll take them out of business in less than five years. Now, it's easy to look at Disney and Netflix and say, oh, but I'm a small entrepreneur and I'm a small company. That's a cop-out because Walt was bankrupt in 1940, as was Reed Hastings in 2005. But I'll give you a small example to bring it to life. There was a very small company in Great Britain in the late 70s. They used to make glasses that we drink out of. And they found there was, uh, when the glasses were being wrapped and shipped, there was too much breakage and not enough production. So they went down to the shop floor and they watched their employees and they listed the rules. 26 employees, conveyor belts, glasses packed in cardboard boxes, uh, 20, uh, 12 glasses to a box, glasses being wrapped in newspaper, employees reading newspaper. And somebody asked the relatively provocative what if question, what if we poke their eyes out? Well, that's against the law. And it's not very nice. But because they had the courage to ask the provocative question, the lady sitting next to him got out of her river of thinking, said, wait a minute, why don't we just hire blind people? So they did. Production went up over 20 percent. Breakage went down over 70 percent. And the British government gave them a 50 percent salary subsidy for hiring people with disabilities. So step one, just look at your industry and list the rules without thinking about them. Step two, take one of those rules and in less than two minutes, come up with as many absurd what if suggestions and ideas as you can. Uh, and then step three, pick one of those and use it as stimulus to develop a new idea. You'll be amazed at just taking the rules of your industry, picking one of them that's always been there and saying, what if that rule no longer applied? It gives you enormous liberty to think very differently. I mean, without going through the whole story, you know, two guys walked into a bar, that sounds like a joke. Um, I believe it was Chicago. It was uh, this was about 2010. It was raining outside. They'd had too much to drink. They couldn't get a cab because it was raining. And one of them turned to the other one and said, what if every car was a cab? Well, guess who went on to create Uber? So it's a remarkably powerful tool. 
don't underestimate its value. We've all got rules. We all say we can't break them. Well, guess what? If you don't break them now, you never will, because now it's time to break the rules. Totally agree, Duncan. Uh, thank you for sharing. Those are great stories and uh, perfect examples for our listeners to uh, you know, challenge their thinking and, and ways they can start challenging their thinking. Let's let's talk to directly to uh, Duncan, our audience for On Top of PR. It's typically going to be the chief marketing officer or a marketing leader at a national brand who has you know uh, dozens of employees working for them in uh, in marketing. Maybe some of them are all, most of them are located under one roof um, at at normal times. Uh, maybe they have people in different markets working uh, with them. Uh, what are steps that you know they could be taking today to demonstrate as a leader? What could they be doing for their people to? harbor and create a culture of encouraging creativity? Well, I think, you know, um, the biggest thing is, um, you know, if I would ask people, you know, one of the tips I give people is be curious, always be curious. You know, if you ask people um, who, um, who goes to their favorite restaurant four or five times a year, obviously before the crisis, uh, we all read the menu, we read the appetizers, we read the main courses, we, we listen to the desserts. And then what do we do? We order the same thing we order every time. Um, you know, if I ask people to put their hands up, who sleeps on the same side of the bed every night? Everybody puts their hand up. Even in a hotel room, we put our hands up. We're creatures of habit. If I ask you, uh, when you commute home uh, and you get to the front door, have you ever sort of looked at it and thought, God, how did I get here? And yeah, we've all done it. Why? Because on the way home, your brain shut down. It physically shut down because it knows everything you're going to go past. And so no fresh stimulus in, no new ideas out. So it is about giving your employees fresh stimulus. One of the ways you can do it is through unplanned collaboration. It was designed by Steve Jobs at Pixar. Most people think of Steve as Apple, but between Apple One and Apple Two, Steve founded Pixar, but he founded it around the principles of unplanned collaboration. And he designed the entire campus at Pixar around that philosophy, which was designed specifically to bring two people together who were not supposed to meet, to have a conversation they were not supposed to have to spark a new idea. Most marketing departments sit by discipline. You know, the, the digital marketing team sits on one floor, the social media team sits on another floor, the CRM team sits on another floor, the creatives sit on another floor. I would argue it's time to get into design thinking and actually have people. So when we moved, we used to work like a relay team. You know, strategy would uh, come up with the, the strategy. They'd pass it off to the insights team. They'd go gather the insights. They'd throw it to the ideation team who would have an idea session and throw it off to the execution team. And what we watched and watched lots of people, one of the biggest barriers to innovation is we watch our ideas get stuck, diluted or killed as they move through the process. Why? Because we're working like a relay team. We're not working as a team. And so we abandoned that principle and actually went with a design thinking model where we put together a team of people, a cross-discipline team of people on a given project. It. They all defined the strategy together. They all went out and gathered the insights together. They all ideated together and they executed together. Guess what happened? Things got done. Shocker. And we all became far more consumer centric than we had ever been. My first 20 years at the Walt Disney Company, including when I was head of global public relations, I'd never met a consumer. I was far too important. I had my cappuccino machine in my system. Why should I step down from Mount Olympus and spend a day with a mere mortal consumer? Um, intuition, another thing you should spark in people. And I'll come back to these as to why in just a minute. But we were tasked by Disneyland Paris how to get more people to come more often, spend more money. Well, our data told us who could afford the brand. Our data told us who had an affinity to the brand. Our data told us who'd been shopping online. But our data told us who was a 10 out of 10 of a survey on coming this year for the last five years, but they hadn't come. So clearly our data 
was missing something. So we went out to find out a bit more. We went out on what we call a consumer immersion safari, where we go out and lived with a consumer for a day. And um, sometimes you'll you'll see things, and it's not just what they tell you, it's what you see. Um, I'm sure lots of us do focus groups. I'm not a believer of focus groups. Uh, we don't sit in houses with two-way mirrors and people spying through on us all the time. So it's not the most relaxed environment for getting real insights out of people. When you get people in their houses, it's not just what they tell you, it's what you see that will confirm or deny your data. For years, we spent millions of dollars in Manhattan because we were told that if you have a, you know, a certain um, income level, you could afford a Disney vacation. Our data told us that therefore Manhattan would be a good place to spend our money. But actually, on re- when you step into somebody's apartment in Manhattan and realize it's empty, why is it empty? 85% of my income goes on rent. Oh, so you can't afford a Disney vacation. Oh, no. Ooh, whoops. Equally, focus groups, we bring in individuals. No, the real insight comes from couples. They police, I call it the self-regulation honesty policy. If I ask a dad, what do you do at Disney? He's going to go, oh, well, I, I go on thrill rides and drink beer i'm a manly man if his wife is sitting next to him she's gonna no no dear honey you went on small world 17 times back to back last year and you really loved it you get real honesty out of couples that you don't get out of individuals but it's the fifth why it's being curious like a child what's the number one question a child asks you why 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 and why why did they ask you because they know you lied the first time that's why and they can get to the core consumer truth better than your data and better than your insights team if you say to somebody your data why do you visit disney the number one answer will be i go for the rides well that tells me to spend a couple of hundred million dollars on a capital investment strategy but if i pause for a moment and act childlike not childish then um i say well wait a minute why do you go for the rides well i remember small world well why is that important to you well i used to go with my mum Why do you like that? It reminds me of the music. Well, what's so important about going with your mum and listening to you? I take my daughter now. On the fifth why, you've just found out why she's really going. It's got nothing to do with the capital investment strategy whatsoever and everything to do with her memory and nostalgia. Well, that's a communication campaign. So, again, our, our data told us who had an affinity to the brand, who'd been shopping online, but they hadn't come. So we thought, hmm, what's stopping them from coming? So we went out and spent a day with them, and here's what we found. Now, Jason, you've got kids, right? Yes, teenagers. Right, great. Close your eyes. There's a photograph of your children somewhere in your house, uh, probably in the living room, the family room, perhaps. Can you see, a physical photograph? Can you see that picture at the moment? Absolutely. A particular photograph? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, tell us, describe the picture for us, if you would. So it's photos of my kids when they were much younger, and um, uh, you know, very playful photos. Um, where and, were they? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, they were in a photo studio, studio actually. Okay. How old were they the day that photograph was taken? Uh, Molly was probably six and Simon, well, no, they're not quite that old. Uh, Simon was probably almost two, so Molly would have been out four. Okay. And how old are Molly and Simon today? Uh, 16 and 14. Hmm. Now, we found the same photograph in every single house we visited. When we asked how old the children were in the photograph, they were anywhere from two years to 20 years older in reality. How do I know that to be true? Because everybody listening to this podcast right now has the same photograph of their children in their living room. And if you're too young to have children of your own, you know that your parents still have that dorky one of you from fifth grade (laughs) hanging in their family room. That's how I know it's true. And we thought, what's going on here? Do we not print photographs of our children anymore? Yes, we do. We print photographs of graduation ceremonies, weddings. We thought there's something going on that our data is missing. So we pushed a bit harder. And here's what we found. Parents will tell you they want their children to go to kindergarten, junior school, middle school, high school, graduate, be happy, healthy and get a job. That's what we want for our kids, right? No, it's not. 
we actually want them. You want Molly and Simon back in that photograph when they're four and six. And when you walk through the door at night, they come running, screaming towards you. They hug your legs. You fall over. Somebody farts and everybody loses it. These are the best days of our lives. <laughs> now you're lucky if Molly and Simon even look up when you come in the room. So you thought, hmm. But there's something here. Let's dig a little deeper using our intuition. We didn't have data to support it. And here's what we found by talking to these 26 mums. But I'm a dad. I can use my own intuition. They all told us essentially the same story about three bittersweet transition points that take place between a parent and a child. And once you've crossed through it, you can't go back. You both want to, but you can't. But I know where I was for all three. I know exactly where I was the day James was 10. It was Christmas Eve. We were in Monterrey, Mexico. He came around the door of Abuelito's bedroom, and his eyes were half full of tears, you know, when they're just bubbling up, just about to flow. And he goes, Papa. I was like, what? He goes, are you Santa Claus? And it was like, boom, didn't see that coming. It's like a bullet. And what had hurt so much wasn't the question. It was what had just happened. Imagination, gone, creativity, bam, disappeared. But what he really said was, I'm not your little boy anymore, Daddy. I'm growing up. And so mm-hmm. that was the first bittersweet transition. The second one, I know where I was. Um, girls listening to the podcast, you will not remember where you were that fateful day. Dads, you will. And you can answer me in a split second. I don't care if it was a year ago or 20 years ago. I know where I was. I was in the Kissimmee uh, Loop. Um, what's the name? Panera was on my left. Michael's is coming up on the left-hand side. My daughter was on my left. The cars were on my right. It was my left hand that she dropped that Tuesday morning for the first time in public. She was 13 at the time because she didn't want to hold daddy's hand in public anymore because she was embarrassed. And girls, you don't remember it, but you can go and text. You actually, even while you're listening to podcasts, you text your dad and ask, well, you don't even remember it happened. He does. And he'll answer you in a split second exactly where he was that day. It's a seminal moment between a father and a daughter. And the last one for us, we used to drive from Central Florida up to um, uh, into Auburn University where she went. We would pack and unpack a third of the room and Um, But now last year, she got her first job in New York. So we flew her up and we packed her into her apartment, got everything unpacked. We hugged, we cheered, we laughed. And my wife and I got in the Uber on the way out to the airport and cried our eyes out. So there were three bittersweet transition points that we learned. And so what our going in hypotheses through our data was if we build it, they will come. Because our data tells us if we build a new attraction, they will come. Well, that's a couple of hundred million dollars of capital investment strategy going in the wrong direction. But by simply spending time with consumer and challenging your data and spending time in their turf, where they are far more relaxed, you may find that killer insight for innovation by looking where other people aren't looking. If you're only looking at your big data, you're looking at the same data your competition's got. So how will you find that one insight for innovation? What we found out was that there are these three bittersweet transitions that take place between the parent and the child. So we just switched it into a communication campaign aimed at parents of small children, Disneyland parents, while they still believe, a dad of a tween, daughter, while she'll still hold your hand, and parents of older children, while they're still here. And we drove sales 20%, not intend to visit, and we turned a very product-centric, we know better uh, culture into a very consumer-centric culture, where it is now mandatory for Disney executives to work one day a year in the theme park in a frontline cast member position, and equally go and spend a day in the living room of one of their consumers. So advice back to everybody in marketing, go and work the front lines of the brand that you represent one day a year. If it's stock shelves in a supermarket go do it and then go spend at least one day a year in the living room of one of your consumers you'll be amazed what you find so that's intuition we talked about curiosity playfulness so jason close your eyes 
Where are you? And what are you doing when you get your best ideas? Well, it's definitely either on a walk on the beach or in the shower. Okay. Yeah. You're going to hear people say shower, walking, jogging, running, gym, listening to music, cooking, a large glass of something, uh, commuting, etc. But you never hear anybody say at work. Well, that's a bummer. And you remember <laughs> that last big argument. You were in that big verbal argument. You're angry with somebody and you step away from the argument. You walk away and two minutes later, boom, that genius killer one-liner pops in that you wish you'd used during the argument. But it never comes during the argument. Why? Here's why. When your brain is in an argument, it's extremely busy. When your brain is in the office, it's extremely busy. And so, and you, but the moment you stepped into the shower or stepped away from the argument, you came up with the killer one line or the big idea. Well, option A, bring showers to the office. That would probably not be HR compliant. <laughs> option <No. laughs> B, how do I get you? How do I get you to that brain state on demand? I run energizers. They are a 60-second exercise designed merely to get people to laugh. The moment I hear laughter, the moment I've opened the door between I know I've opened the door between your conscious and subconscious brain. 87% of your brain is subconscious. But when you're stressed at work and you hear yourself say, I don't have time to think, right? And when you don't have time to think, that door is closed and you're only working with 30, 13% of the capacity of your brain. And so that's the importance of playfulness, imagination. When we all got that Christmas present when we were small and it came in an enormous box and we took the toy out of the box and we spent about half an hour playing with the toy and five days playing with the box. Why? Because the box could be anything you wanted it to be. That's why. Well, here's the thing. In the next decade, artificial intelligence will strip away analysis, statistics, finance, legal, what I call the left-hand side of the brain, most of which can be programmed. The right-hand side of the brain, however, the four traits you were born with, creativity, imagination, uh, curiosity, and intuition cannot be programmed or will not be programmed into artificial intelligence any time in the next decade. Therefore, the skill sets that I believe we should bring back out the closet, the ones we've been told weren't important for the last decade, um, and as we seek to employ people, I believe we should be seeking to employ people encouraging creativity, imagination, intuition, and curiosity. In fact, Forbes magazine just published an article that basically said the top 100 CEOs said creativity will be the most employable skill set of the next decade well you definitely have job security then uh duncan if you uh if you ever want to return to the workforce <laughs> you're listening to on top of pr with your host jason mudd jason is a trusted advisor to some of america's most admired and fastest growing brands he is the managing partner at axia public relations a pr agency that guides news social and web strategies for national companies and now back to the show we have not solved how to have uh, group brainstorming uh, surrounding a shower for sure, and nor should we. Uh, but certainly, uh, one thing I have learned from you is the element of playfulness, as you mentioned before. Uh, when the room is is able and willing, uh, we have found some of our best ideas actually come from uh, you know getting on the ground and playing with toys on the ground. And we have found just whether you're sitting. Um, you know, cross-legged or kneeling or whatever it might be, that there's just something about getting on the ground and playing that really kind of loosens people up a little bit. Now, some people just can't do that physically, and we understand that for sure, but when the group allows it, we've done that with uh, with great success. We've also borrowed from you the idea of, uh, as you mentioned, you know, going to a local, uh, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's or even a mom-and-pop uh, hardware store and just listen to what 
questions Bingo. consumers ask uh, the store Bingo. people. They ask their wife, yep. uh, the way they hold the product, the way they look at it. Uh, you know, we've used uh, techniques like that uh, to really awesome. um, yeah. gain insights we would have never had before. Well, so you want my financial investment strategy? Here's my financial investment strategy. It's pretty simple. About ooh, just before the mortgage crisis of 2008-2009, about two months ahead, I was chatting to my local supermarket manager, Publix. We were just chatting. And he said, oh, the market's going to drop. I said, well, how, how the hell do you know? He goes, oh, I can see it six to eight weeks before everybody else. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, oh, yeah, it's easy. They stop buying Heinz ketchup and they buy Publix ketchup. And mm. he says, and by the way, he says, when they switch from Publix supermarket brand to Heinz back again, I know the market's coming back six weeks later. I was like, oh, my God, that is genius. But again, to what you said about listening and watching your consumer, I was asked by the, the world's largest tool manufacturer to give them a talk on innovation. I know nothing about tools. I'm a DIY disaster area. So I thought I'd better find out. So I went down to Home Depot and Lowe's, just as you suggested, and I went and watched their consumers at the point of purchase, particularly the young millennials and Generation Z. And I went, came back and talked to them. I said, hey, this generation never heard of you. They're not even talking about you. They're not talking about your products, the hammer, the chisel, or the saw. They're not even talking about your price point. They don't care. They're talking about what's important to them. We're going to remodel our dream bathroom, our dream um, kitchen, our dream apartment. I said, your purpose, if you choose to create one, is you could be the brand who helps people build their dreams. They could see the finance guys rolling their arms, eyes going, oh, God, this guy's nuts. How's that going to help us drive our quarterly results? It won't, but it might save your job. It might save your career, but it certainly won't save your industry because it's already too late. But if you're the brand who can help people build their dreams, what other industries could you be? Could you be in public relations? Yes. Hospitality? Yes. Entertainment? Yes. Sports, finance, banking, insurance. You could be in any line of business you want oh no we make tools we're really good at it our definition of innovation isn't its iteration we're going to expand into india and mexico they're growing middle class they will buy our tools no they won't we're building houses in houston texas today on a 3d printer today um, Amazon spent billions of dollars on shipping last year. It is not in their interest to do so. I put it to you that if you didn't have your smart, a smartphone 15 years ago, then 15 years from now, a third of what you buy on Amazon, you will simply print on your 3D printer at home. The small coffee table, you'll print it at home. The coffee chair, you'll print it at home. If I can print anything I want on demand in the year 2035, what will I use a hammer, a chisel, or a saw for? Yeah, that's right. They'll be in a museum, um, but because they don't have but because they don't have a purpose, they can't see it coming. But if they had a purpose, they could be in any other line of business they chose to be. But again, all I the uh, all I've got that from was standing and listening and watching their consumer. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's very powerful. Duncan, I'm so pleased we connected today to have this brief conversation. I would love to have you back another time because not only are you uh, an innovator, you're also a futurist. Every time we connect, I learn and I'm inspired in, in many, many ways. Uh, in closing, I want to give you an opportunity to um, offer our listeners uh, how might they best connect with you and also um, if there's anything you would like to uh, offer that they do to, to uh, get on a mailing list or participate participate in a workshop with you in the well, future. Thank you. Well, here's the thing. People learn by doing. They don't learn by listening. Conference, I just wrote a blog post on why the conference industry needs to be blown up. But if you can get in a room with a group of people who've been told for years, you're not creative you're in sales you're in marketing you're not creative and they think they can't innovate it, people say why did you leave disney you were there 30 years you were head of innovation creativity i was like it's easy 
there's a gap in the market. All the C-suites are standing up saying, you need to innovate. We must take risks. You must think differently. We must be brave. And all of their employees are sitting there going, that's great. Going to show me how. And nobody's showing people how to think differently and innovate. So all I've done based on my my time at Disney as head of innovation creativity and working with companies like Idea and Apple is all I've done is taken a design thinking process and made innovation easy, creativity tangible, and the process fun. Why is it fun? Because there is no incentive for your employees to use it when you're not around if it's not fun. You can't talk culture change. You have to give people a toolkit they choose to use when you're not around. And I love getting in a room full of people and running the workshop because you see it about one o'clock in the afternoon. You just see that smile come on their face when they think, I can do this. And the biggest compliment, actually, and you said it yourself, which was very sweet of you. Thank you. I had somebody, I was running a workshop for NBC Universal last December and a lady came up to me she said hey did you run one of these at ESPN ABC about three years ago I said yeah she goes we still use your tools I was like you know what that's the best compliment I've ever received um yeah duncanwardle.com uh, duncan is not a donut company it's d it's the first king of scotland i'll have you know it's spelled d-u-n-c-a-n <laughs> w-a-r-d-l-e duncanwardle.com so they can connect with you there, learn more about your workshops, Absolutely. including virtual workshops, and also find yep. your social media there too, right? Indeed. Yeah. Duncan, again, it was a pleasure. I'd love to have you back on as a guest in the future. Are you up for that? Uh, we'll do some energizers. We'll do them live. We could actually invite people in. You know what we could do is get people in and have them. You could crowdsource a challenge and we'll work on it using the tools live. And see oh, what that would we be wonderful. Give it yeah, a go, that'd right? Be great. We should cool. do that. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, thanks for hey, having Duncan, me. my best to your family. Thank you for joining us today. And um, if there's everything I can do for you, let me know, okay? Thank you. Stay healthy, everybody. Thanks, Duncan. Well, that's another great episode of On Top of PR. I want to thank our guest, Duncan, today, who is always uh, magical and majestic and based on all of his experience working with Disney and so many other things, he's helping the world be a more creative and enjoyable place for us as marketers and for us as consumers in the marketplace. Thanks again, Duncan. That's all for this episode of On Top of PR. Using the power of PR, your company can build awareness, trust, and consideration among your ideal audiences. Be sure to visit axiapr.com to check out free resources, including webinars, ebooks, and our PR Hack of the Week.